And then next thing you know, I just, I start to struggle. And I think, and, and it's nothing, nothing to the point where I'm like mentally effing myself at this point. It's just like, well, my stuff's not good. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, that's just the bottom line is like, I'm, I'm, I'm just not good. My stuff isn't good. I'm like getting hit. There's, there's occasions where I'm like making quality pitches and still getting hit. And that's taking a toll on me as well because of you have to face that, that music, right? Like, dude, maybe you're just not freaking good anymore. All right, welcome to episode five of From Phenom to the Farm, an interview series presented by Baseball America. My name is Kyle Banduho, and I am your host. Hope everyone is staying safe and sane during this time, hoping this podcast is a good hour-long escape. On this pod, I've been talking to pro ball players who signed out of high school about the story of their professional career. Today's guest is the first still active, as of this recording, still a free agent, but um, you know, still working to grind to get a job. Talk to pitcher Robbie Rowland, 2010 third-round pick of the Diamondbacks. It's been almost 10 years since his draft, and Robbie's still plugging away at a really up-and-down career with a, a really incredibly unique story. Today's episode is part one of a two-part interview. It's getting us through Robbie's amateur days and his first couple years of pro ball. It's a story that I think is a lot about expectation and just how hard it can be to find an identity in yourself and your game as a professional. Robbie was great and very easy to talk to. As you'll soon hear, he's got a really engaging, unique personality, and he's no stranger to a podcast. Hosts the very popular Robbie Rose Show, which, like this podcast, you can check out wherever you get your podcast. He'll detail it during the beginning of this interview, but I'm pretty sure he's on every social media platform, even TikTok. Uh, Robbie's not a hard guy to find, but I'm very grateful he took the time. If you enjoy this interview and want to hear upcoming episodes as soon as they're released every other Tuesday, please subscribe to this feed wherever you get your podcast and take the time, leave a five-star rating and a review if you so wish. Those do help the podcast. Also, make sure to check out everything going on at BaseballAmerica.com. BA is still cranking out content on both the website and with podcasts, new features up every day related to both what's in the news, as well as really cool evergreen pieces about amateur and minor league baseball. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. I'll be posting updates on this series with featured guest and episode info, as well as my weekly sports movie podcast, Big Screen Sports, which comes out every Monday. With that, I hope you enjoy the fifth episode of From Phenom to the Farm, part one of our talk with Robbie Rowland. Okay, I am here with 2010 third round pick by the Arizona Diamondbacks, pitcher Robbie Rowland. Robbie, thank you so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. Hey, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Gosh, I didn't even mention this when we were just talking for like 30 minutes before we hopped on, but you have like the the ideal like radio podcast voice. Has anyone ever told you that? That's an incredible compliment because it is. I, I, when I edit these episodes, I can't stand listening to myself. I'm the but same speaking way. Of, well, yeah, <laughs> speaking of that, um, not many other guests on, on this series have this. I, I'm able to, to say this too, but hey, Robbie, plug your podcast, plug your socials. Where can the people follow you and what you're doing on the Robbie Rowland Show? Oh, dude, the the better the better and simpler question is where they cannot find me. I'm I'm freaking everywhere, dude. Um, you're all over my social media. Ev- everywhere, man. Hopefully, you got post notifications turned on too. You can see a, see my beard in action. But uh, yeah, dude, podcast the Robbie Rowe Show. Um, I like to talk as as everyone that's listening to this will hear uh, this entire episode. And then um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok now. Freaking TikTok's the play. Um, what else? I am on YouTube, and I'm trying to get my MySpace back up and running. Uh, you would appreciate that comment. I think we're in the, the same generation with that. but I think Yeah, it's, uh, still very dated. 
still yeah still, <laughs> i i haven't i haven't logged it's been many moons since i, I got some good pictures on there man i need to find i need to find a way to get back in because i know the, when i say good pictures i mean like when i used to have hair so I need to find a way to get back in there and get those picks. I don't know. Well, you're compensating with a sweet beard, so I wouldn't stress. But let's let's roll Thanks. it back to MySpace days and even pre-MySpace days. Um, tell the listeners about yourself, where you're from, your athletic upbringing. You know what sports you were into. Uh, you know how how did you how did you come into athletics? Oh, dude, what a segue, man! You are a veteran at this. Um, so, been in the game for a while. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I can take some notes while we're recording this. Um, yeah, man. So, so very simple version is is I was very fortunate to um, be born in a in a family of athletes. My my dad uh, played in the big leagues parts of six years, ten professionally. So when I was born, he was currently playing, and um, that's kind of how it all started, right? Like, I mean, I was just kind of a product of the environment. I was just around the game, even as like a little toddler, like. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm sitting in my office right now and I have pictures of me like holding the bat when I was like one or holding the catcher's mitt or being surrounded by baseballs and, um, you know, just fell in love with the game at an early age just because that's what it was, right? That was life and um, kind of just fell in love with the, the whole dynamic of it too, right? Like not just on-field stuff, but the the dynamic of living out of a suitcase and going from here to there and, and the, 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 the excitement that that brought. Uh, and then I, as I got older, dad retired and we moved back to where my mom and my mom and dad grew up. And, um, you know, that's kind of where I just became, I guess what I would say, like the, the typical like childhood just athlete, whereas I was always out playing a sport, you know, didn't matter really what it was and just kind of just having fun with the boys. Didn't have like the video games or the technology or the connectivity that we have nowadays. So that was the thing to do. And then um, progressing into like high school you know it was uh it's actually funny i don't know how much time you want to spend on it but i was more of like a basketball player um all the way through high school so it's like even coming back home during off seasons and whatnot like people will still ask me like hey where are you playing basketball these days like where'd, where'd you go to school and all this um but uh yeah played basketball and, and then it wasn't honestly it wasn't until like i think it was this is another really cool story but wasn't until the summer going into my senior year of high school, I went to the area code tryouts, didn't make the team, went and played basketball for two weeks straight without touching a baseball. This was like on my AAU team because, like I said, I was more just focused on basketball at the time. Um, and then I got a call with about a week left in my basketball tournament saying, hey, this, this Southeast team, or I think it was Southeast, needs a couple extra arms. Like, would you be interested in, in flying down um, to Long Beach? At, and I, at the time, I was already in L.A. So, um, you know, called Pops and, and, and made it happen to where he would take me to the tournament and made a few quick catch sessions in on, on the side of the road and uh, got the arm in decent shape for like two days and then played in that area code game. I think it was only one game. They needed me for like one game. And then I had to go back and play basketball through three innings, like topped out at like 93-2 or something like that. Um, had no idea what was going on, but all these MLB scouts were like, here and there and colleges it was i mean i'm sure you've been there like it's a crazy experience had no idea what was happening and then i remember driving back like getting all these messages and this is when i had my dope razor flip phone and i was thinking i was super cool because i was getting oh man the best oh dude so sick yeah and i'd get these text messages like hey this is so-and-so from the colorado rockies and i'm just like whoa man um but yeah that was kind of like that day that the my world turned to me starting to think about that 
possibility, right? Per your um, per your your BA draft report um, available on BaseballAmerica.com in the draft database. Everyone should go look at it. Shameless um, plug. You, you, yeah, ha, ha, have to plug it. It's one I love the the BA draft database. But um, it, it's mentioned that you had you know you could have accepted you know scholarships to Division One programs as, as a basketball player. So it wasn't as though you didn't have a future at a next level in basketball. Did the pro attention for baseball? Was it because you were getting pro attention that turned your focus to baseball, or was it that you just preferred the sport in general? Oh, dude, that's there's so many like variables to that, and it's crazy like looking back at it. Um, but like, there was a there was an idea right that that made I think the draft uh, my draft stock very intriguing, and it was the idea that I've been always kind of juggling the two sports, right? And the idea of, oh, what if, what if he focused on just baseball? Like, would that increase his draft stock? And, and as you know, it would, right? Because the, the, the idea of that just um, simplistically makes sense. So it was kind of something that I had to decide at kind of an early stage, I would say. I guess not that early. It was my senior season. Um, it was before basketball season. I had to decide because, you know, as the scouts were preparing to go on their trips and scout scout players, they needed to kind of know at that point, you know, was this something that he was going to take seriously? And was this something that like he was going to decide was the best decision for him moving forward? So, um, yeah, it wasn't that I, you know, don't like basketball. I'll still say to anyone's face, today like basketball is still like there's nothing better than just grabbing a ball and going to like a hoop and just being by yourself and shooting hoops like that's so much fun um rivals you know going up there and and pitching but it wasn't that i I couldn't play because like you said i mean i did have offers they weren't as you know good as offers as i was getting from the baseball standpoint but there were still offers um and i was kind of always juggling like okay well can i play both Right. There was the idea of the dual scholarship type dynamic. And that was something that was really intriguing. Um, But the schools that I ended up taking visits to in on my recruiting uh, trips, they all four schools, they they weren't in in on the idea. So if I were going to go dual scholarship, it was going to be at probably like a lower level division one program, which maybe didn't have, you know, a great baseball program. So. There was a lot of decisions that had to had to be made and that were made that looking back on it, I was like, whoa, I'm surprised I even made those decisions. But I think at the end of the day, it came down to just like, I love just I love baseball and I love just being a baseball player. And that really combination with obviously that mindset approaching the game, the upbringing um, and then, you know, the ability to wake up every single morning and know that what I'm going to do today is play the game of baseball, not school, not work, not this and that. It was like, I'm going to the yard and I'm going to play baseball. That was like the the ultimate thing that was kind of just like, all right, let's do this. Um, but yeah, so I had to make that decision before, even before my basketball season started that year, which again was kind of a, a interesting time because I was having MLB scouts come to a lot of my basketball games. Um, it was pretty, pretty cool, but I was, uh, I was on pace to going into that season, like on pace to, you know, break like the, the, the empire record scoring record. So there was a lot of kind of attention there, but 
I don't know why I just shameless plug myself like that. I'm usually not like that, but since you started it, that's why I did it. Um, yeah, you gotta you gotta drop go. the you gotta <laughs> drop the accomplishments. But going back to something you said about your upbringing, you mentioned the being on the road, living out of suitcases, and then you know talking about wanting to just wake up, go to the yard, not go to school. It sounds like one, your commitment to Oregon was more of a a backup plan formality. Would you would you say so? Had to yeah. end your senior year. Yeah, I mean, we were super upfront. We were super upfront, right? So, like, even on the recruiting visit, it was like, "Hey, my ultimate goal is to be a professional baseball player." Um, obviously, like, you know, I don't want to just say that and not commit to a school and not have that. Um, and I think like backup plan is kind of like an it takes it more of like in a negative connotation. But I loved Oregon. I got a really like I got a really homey home home style vibe out of Eugene uh, is close to not really close, but closer to home than some of the schools. And um, but but yeah, like, you know, even even the the visit that I had there, I was always, you know, we were we made sure to say like, hey, if you know, X, Y and Z happens, which we all kind of were in the understanding that it would, um, you know, like I'm going to sign. And it wasn't something to where it was like, hey, I'm, you know, if I get offered 2.5 million, I'll sign, you know, which makes it that 1% of the 1%. But it was like, hey, you know, we kind of put it at, if I'm in top three rounds, you know, I'm going to sign. And uh, everyone was in the understanding of that. It's so funny looking back at that process because you hear a lot, especially when I got into pro ball, hearing a lot of other people's stories, right? And um, looking back at my journey and my process throughout the draft, you know, the whole craziness of it, it was never like, oh man, I want, I want like more money. I need to do this. It wasn't like after every outing, I hit a, like a 95 and it was like, oh, I'm getting so much money now. It's like, no, for me, it was just like, huh, that's cool. It's, I guess it's like a byproduct of it. But the coolest thing was like the idea of being a baseball player and like playing baseball every day. That was just so cool. Still is cool to me, right? Like even having gone through everything so far, it's like, I still love it. So was there any pre-draft negotiation for you or anything, or were you just, or, you know, worry, any worry while you were pitching about boosting your stock or possibly like any sort of bad outing tanking your stock? Or was it just, I just need to get myself in the first few rounds so I feel comfortable enough to, to head to Pro Bowl. There's, there's enough of a financial incentive to head to Pro Bowl. Was there, was there a floor for that? Was there any scenario where you go to Oregon? Yeah, no, there was a scenario. I think the the scenario was top three or bust. So like, that was what we decided, you know, as soon as the push came to shove, it was like, all right, what's it going to take? And I said top three or top three money, I guess. I guess that was kind of in there as well. But, um, you know, throughout that whole season, man, like I was, I, it's crazy to say this too, but even I mentioned to you earlier, like I just wrote a whole like article on this, but I was, if I look at my last like, 12 to 15 years of just overall life and like what era of my life would I like want to go back in time and just take my mindset from and put it in my mindset now it would be like that senior season in high school because surrounding all of that like external pressure essentially right I was still able to just simplify everything and go out and just like have fun pitching like it was it was pretty 
and I hate to I hate to brag about myself, dude, but like it was pretty impressive thinking about it in terms of being an 18 year old kid. And like you mentioned, like have all of these kind of thoughts in your head, right, of money and, and financial stability and all of this stuff. But my 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 mindset was like, go out there and just compete, dude, and just enjoy that and enjoy that process. Um, and then um, it was actually like moments before my last high school start um it finally for some reason hit me because i think there was like a text may have come through from from somebody high up saying or maybe it was like an article got published you know because it was right around the time that the draft was getting hot and uh it had me pegged in the first round to the yankees and that's this was like i was on i was in the bathroom when i like got this you know notification i remember thinking it was like in the bathroom before the game starting and i'm like pitching that day and it hit me and i was like whoa dude like i need to go out and do this and that and all of a sudden it became this kind of like have to mentality rather than get to and dude my last high school start i pooped the bed harder than anyone could poop the bed in their life and uh fell to the third round <laughs> but hey man you live and you learn well you get so the the d-backs pop you with the 88th overall pick third round was there any i mean you had you had achieved the goal you had started out you had started out for it wasn't the first round that you thought it might have been maybe a couple weeks later but you still have hit that goal of okay we're top three rounds that means top three rounds slot was there any negotiation anything at all or was it Okay, slot. Let's let's get out to the let's get out to the field. Yeah, there's actually negotiations in a in a in a more of a, a different way in the sense of we negotiated a brother deal. I don't know if you've ever had uh, experience with that, but my agent uh, essentially negotiated terms so that the D-backs would sign my brother. So my brother was a, a junior. And, um, the, the deal was I would sign for slot, even though I already kind of said that I would, I don't know why that was an emphasis, but I said, I would sign for slot, make it like a super, oh, I know what it was. It was because like there was, there was talks about, um, Barrett Laux at the time, which actually ended up coming to be true, right? That he didn't sign with a six overall pick that year Mm -hmm. to the D-backs. So they were, um... So it was like, you know, we got to get this guy in quick. And then the the negotiation of the brother deal was like, okay, well, we'll make it super like simplistic on you guys as possible. Sign his brother. Then, you know, they had to make it to where my, my, my brother, the teams that were on my brother, like weren't going to draft him. There was like a couple of like loops or hoops that we had to jump through. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what we ended up kind of negotiating. But it was, it was so, it was so funny because I remember like, that day right like it's so it's so hectic and you like there's so many like thoughts and i just remember like when i got that call of my agent saying hey the d-backs are gonna get you in the next pick like you're signing right and i was like yeah and then it all just hit reality right like whoa this is happening <laughs> and uh but yeah it was it was a crazy experience and i i encourage everyone that goes through it man is like to really fully enjoy it like don't take it for granted man like that is something that is truly special right and it, like doesn't happen doesn't come around all that many times. So there's some encouraging words for you, you young listeners, I guess. Well, before you, you you put pen to paper, but before you get on the plane to start your pro career, you have the, and you mentioned this earlier, you have the fortune of having 
you know, not many draft picks can look at their parents and ask, Hey, what, what exactly am I, am I getting myself into? Right. You had the fortune of having a dad with 10 years of pro ball experience, big league experience. Was there anything specifically that he imparted on you? How ready, how much did he key you into life and pro ball and prepare you? Cause I'd imagine there are things that, you know, even he couldn't have prepared you for, but what, what did he impart on you before you left to head out and start your career? Yeah, dude. I mean, I can't even like put into words how spoiled I've been like through everything, man. Like I've been very blessed throughout like my entire journey, even thinking like nowadays, right? Like the guy still catches me. Like I'm throwing 93 pellets, dude, or 94 or five pellets at this guy. He's still sticking things. But like I was so fortunate. And that that's another one of those pieces to the puzzle, right, of like my draft stock was I was like really polished, they said, for a high school guy because of that upbringing, right? Like it looks great on paper. You know, you have that blood, that, that um, you know, the father, like you said, like I grew up on that dynamic that certain people my age or kids my age potentially might struggle with, right? So there's kind of that question of, hey, you know, is this guy going to be ready to answer the call and sign and go off on his own, you know, without mommy and or without dad? Like that's, that's an interesting dynamic that not a lot of people think about when they're talking about the draft and they're starting to like talk about, okay, well, yeah, he's 18, but like, can he go off on his own and be comfortable and like, you know, freaking shove <laughs> that's it's, it's tough, but yeah, man. I mean, just, uh, I, like I said, I grew up with, with stories of, of pro ball and, and like kind of what to expect. I was, I was like, I can't even stress enough. I was very fortunate and not a lot of people are, but I was fortunate to kind of hear the ins and outs of what to expect. So when I did get into the moment myself, it wasn't anything that was like, oh my gosh, I'm deer in the headlights over here. Like, I don't know what to expect. I mean, my, I was prepared for that my whole life, dude. Like from the moment that I was birthed, it was like, I didn't, I didn't need to worry about, I will say, um, the one thing that I did, I, I was a deer in the headlights with was doing my own laundry. I mean, I was, dude, I mean, if I didn't have my brother with me there, I would have had to ask a teammate and that would have been embarrassing. But I mean, like I said, I was very fortunate my whole entire life. Still am. But uh, yeah, mommy did my laundry. Um, I mean, a month into my my uh, first semester of college, I showed back up at home with a trunk full of laundry. So I, I think we can all relate to that. But, <laughs> but it's those again, little things, well, right? Like, it is. It's all those it little things that, t- that pile up and that you don't really think about when you're going through the draft process, right? You're thinking about the performance. You're thinking about potentially like the financial stability that comes of it. You're thinking about, you know, where you're going to play, what jersey you're going to wear, who's going to be on your team, who you're going to face, all these guys that you heard about before are potentially going to be competition, like all of these other things. And then you don't really lose sight of the fact of like, oh, I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to be responsible for like my own luggage, my own clothes, buying my own stuff, eating the right way, going to bed at a certain hour, making sure my alarm clock is on, um, showering, like all of these little tiny life components that aren't necessarily thought about are they, 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 you know, they matter. Um, and like I said, I was very fortunate cause you know, I had a family that, that went through that already and I was, I was prepped, um, besides the laundry, I was prepped. <laughs> well, your, your BA draft report, it mentions those, those bloodlines, which are something scouts like, um, your athleticism for playing basketball, your body type, you're, you're a bigger dude. 
Um, you're the per your draft report, you were a projection right hander. You're you're you were a guy that scouts could dream on. You're pretty noted right now. It's pretty obvious that you're putting in the work just via your social media. Did you have that same kind of work ethic when you were when you were in high school? Is that something was, that has been yeah. has been the case? Yeah, it's stupid. I don't. I'm just. Yeah, that was, and that's an interesting conversation to have because, like, now that I'm more, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, kind of doing a lot more instructional stuff and mentoring stuff. Like, that's an interesting conversation to have as far as like how do we instill the work ethic? Like, pops and I'll still talk about that sometimes. Is like, hey, dude, like, you know, what did you do that? you know, gave me that kind of motivation to always work hard. Like, was it something external? Was it something internal? For some reason, man, I just always had a desire to be the best. Like, it was always kind of in my scope, and I always wanted it, and I loved the competition, and I knew exactly which boxes to check along that journey, along those, you know, along the route of, of trying to be the best version of my self that I could be. And I don't know where it stemmed from, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I was, I was always the guy that was doing the, the early stuff, you know, running poles back then poles were, were the in now they're demonized, but I always always, had to run your, always had to run your poles, (laughs) dude. I was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, you know, I mean, and that went for everything. I'm a, I'm a believer of like kind of the, the notion or the idea of, you know, everything you do is like a direct interpretation of just kind of how you are as a person, like what you put into things is what you get out. And, you know, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. That's with everything you see, right? Like it's, it's not just my, my baseball game or my, my development in that sport, but it's what you see online. It's what you see when I make a social media post. It's what you see when I, you know, write a blog like all of it's it just matters for some reason i know i i said it earlier i hate i hate to like brag about myself but like for some reason i just have this desire to do everything at the at the peak of my ability um and i was always kind of that way you know even even dating back to again i was very fortunate i had a brother that was three years older so it was that competition right of we were going out and playing one-on-one in the driveway and it was i had no chance to win but i didn't i didn't have that in my mind even as like a nine-year-old kid playing little league with the 12 year olds it was always a desire of mine to strike out the oldest guy in the league or playing travel ball you know, when I was 13 and we were playing 18 under teams, like it wasn't a, for some reason I didn't shy away from like, oh man, I'm on the mound right now. And the dude at the, in the dish has a, has a kid and he's got a beard and I'm like, just hit puberty (laughs) for some reason. I was like, I wanted that. I, I longed for those, those moments in that competition. And I knew exactly from, again, my upbringing, my dad, my freaking my mom, like everyone in my family was you know, kind of prided themselves on their ability to work hard and put in the work and, and do the necessary things that needed to be done. And I kind of just was around that again, talking product and environment. And um, yeah, it was just instilled for me uh, from an from an early age and hasn't really left. And I'm hoping it never does. I don't see how it can be. I'm, I'm like, I'm the worst perfectionist, but we'll probably dive into this part, the negative part about being a perfectionist a little bit later on when I really face some some struggles in my career. I think we I think we've got that coming up, but we're we're still at at age 18, you've just signed, you've got the bloodlines, the athleticism, the work ethic. You're a projection right-hander. When you when you head out for your first assignment, 
what is your in your mind what kind of pitcher are you what's your game what's your personal ceiling what what's your projection for yourself do you have a, a big league eta do you have a career expectation what does that look like for 18 year old robbie Rowland? dude i i some would say I, I was not a realist back then because i remember like doing an interview for like my local tv station or something and they were that they asked that question like hey how many years until you're in the big leagues and i was like you know well i'm gonna perform really good like i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna dominate like how i've always done and uh, i'll be up there in like three years i don't see why that's not a possibility i don't see why that's like not going to happen i was just you know just not arrogant but just kind of just not i guess aware and a part of that now that i think about it and i'll joke with my dad about this a lot is like he was in the big leagues in his like third season so I think I think that had a part of of my kind of idea of my timeline too. Was like, okay, well, if Dad did it, you know, as a seventeenth rounder in three, like I'm a third rounder, bro. I'm getting up there in like two. <laughs> but um, that probably played into it. But yeah, I, I think um, I, I was really polished, you know. And I, I mean, I hate to say was, but as an eighteen year old man, like as you can expect having pops catch me all the time and like kind of teaching me the ins and outs of pitch sequencing and setting guys up and throwing this pitch and throwing that pitch. And I mean, shoot, I was, I was, it was, it was crazy. Um, that was what made me, you know, really good. There was a lot of things to like about me, um, at that time. Um, but going in, going into that first season, you know, I had a fastball that I would sit like 88 to 92, but I would always showcase it like a 94 of five in those one inning, two inning spurts, <laughs> which was nice. But um, I had, you know, from an early age, I had an ability to spin it. I had an ability to throw a ton of different types of pitches for strikes. And uh, it was never something that I overcomplicated, man. I mean, the it's like I said, if I could take my mindset from back there and plug it into at any point in my career, I'd 100% would because the game was just the game. And the game was, I hate to say, and the game's never easy, but it was a very simplistic way to approach the game. Um, and then as I kind of got older, and we'll, again, we'll dive into this, but you know, more complexities kind of started arising. But going into that first season, it was just, you know, I'm going out there and I got this and that, I'll throw this and I'll throw that and this count and this count and, and all this. And, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. Well, you, you jump right to, to rookie ball. You jump right to the pioneer league. You get 54 innings in, which is especially in that, in that draft draft era, I believe there was a later signing deadline at that point. It was almost unheard of for younger pitchers. Not a lot of guys were, were signing high school guys signing, getting, 40 50 innings there was a, was a slower process you and i have a uh, a mutual friend um zach dotson who i think threw one inning yeah. the he threw yeah. one inning in the gcl he, he signed yeah. late though yeah, that freaking he, he guy he did he did <laughs> he he made sure to get his money he, he got uh, his man um but so you jump in right away and you go from high school ball in california which is which is a competitive environment it's one of the more competitive high school environments in the country but then you jump to the Pioneer League. You're facing college, you know, guys who just got out of college. You're playing with guys who just got out of college, and as well as some young guys. Um, and, and you're there back to back years. You you get in about you know a little over a hundred innings total. Was there sort of a welcome to pro ball moment in that time where you thought, hey, maybe maybe my timeline was a little unrealistic 
maybe either the guys I'm playing with are a little better are playing against are a little better than what I'm thought or maybe I have more work to do than I thought was there any kind of moment like that um yeah I would I don't know about that moment um I do remember looking at lineup cards and seeing guys' name that I just saw like in the college world series and that was kind of something like whoa dude I just watched them on TV and now they're in the di- they're at the you know in the box and it was like that was kind of a moment um, I will say that first season, man, like it's so tough when you look at statistics. Cause I will say like that first season I pitched really well. I would say, I think I ended up with like a five, four pitched really well. Um, we had a five inning limit on every outing for, for like a guy coming out of high school, obviously. And I always remember being really upset because I would get pulled it after five innings on certain outings where, you know, I have like a two hitter, no runs at 58 pitches. And I'm like, dude, I could go the freaking full game. My, my goal was always, and I haven't done this yet. Only in, only in, um, like doubleheader seven inning Johnny's, but I always wanted to throw like nine innings. I thought that was so cool coming from high school and playing seven to like going to pro ball. I don't know why it was something that I always kind of thought of when I was looking at my ability to potentially play pro ball. I was like, oh, dude, I'll get to, I'll get to pitch like a nine inning complete game. Not even having the rec- recognition of that's probably more of a reality in college. If I wanted to do that, I should have went to college. But um, oh yeah, yeah, most programs they they'd run you out there. You got 150 there. pitches oh, at least dude. at least back in 2010. It's a different world. Right, right. Yeah, 140, 150 coming back on Tuesday closing. Oh, I would have loved that honestly. Um, but yeah, that that first season, I thought I did really well. I got off to a shaky start. Um, and then, you know, start talking about like that confidence that, oh man, do I belong type thing? And it was a different dynamic for me personally. Um, I know you said that our competition was good in California and it, and it is, and it's not to say it's not, but I grew up in a town of, I think 6,000 people at the time went to a school of 80 people, I think graduated class. So I was in a small league. Yeah. I did those showcases and I did really well and, and whatnot, but my whole spring season, like I was facing, you know, and not to be disrespectful to anyone, but I was facing like, you know, low, low, low level college high school guys. And it wasn't until that last high school outing where we faced a team in playoffs that was that was pretty decent. But um, and then when I got into pro ball, it was just like, oh, shoot, man, I need to be intentional with my OO pitches, you know, because high school, man, you're grooving, you're grooving, you're cruising and, and this and that. And then you get into that pro ball setting. And it's like, you're getting freaking ambushed and your breaking ball is kind of not that good if you don't set it up right. And this and that. And that was the biggest learning curve. I think that first year taught me was like, yo, can't take pitches off, man. Like you're not as good. <laughs> you're not as good as you think you are. You know what I mean? Like, had you ever struggled before? And that's, before that's before thing, that Pioneer right? League, had yeah. you ever had there ever been? You mentioned the the one bad start in high school right before the draft, but aside from that, and Never especially failed. playing at a small school, even in basketball, had you ever experienced much failure? Never failed. No, never, never in anything. Honestly, and, and again, I'm not I'm not like saying that to brag, but that's another thing I wrote about in a few articles uh, when I first started my website, which can be found at therobbyroshow.com. Shameless plug, 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 um, plug. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I talk about that a lot, man. It was because like, you know, no one wants to fail, and honestly, no one really knows how to fail, or no one knows how to um, respond to failure. Especially if you're like not doing it a lot, and then all of a sudden it hits and you get punched in the nose hard by a right and a left hook and you're sitting there thinking like whoa dude like what's happening why am i feeling like this why am i why am i depressed and so on and so forth (laughs) but yeah that's a really that's a really good like 
you know, topic in the sense of even growing up playing against older competition and yeah, maybe struggling, but never failing, you know, how do you think you handled it at 18 and 19? So 18 really, really well. Cause again, my mindset, man, I was just, everything was simple. Um, and it never really did get over complex, um, until that following year. So when I, that following year, you mentioned I went back to the Pioneer League, so I had to go through the extended spring training and this and that. That was the, oh, right up there with the worst years of my life. That's when failure occurred. So the you're talking 2011 in the Pioneer League. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the whole year in general. So here was the thing, right? So like teams will tell you, I don't know if this is true anymore, but like teams will kind of tell you in the draft process whatever they need to do to get you to sign. Right. So they told me like, hey, one of the the ideas that was intriguing was, hey, you would never have to see extended spring training. I didn't want to see extended spring training. I wanted to play like real games, dude. And um, so signing early was supposedly like, you know, a benefit because you weren't going to go to extended spring training that next year. So as soon as I got to spring training, not only did my brother get released, but I found out that I was going to extended spring training. So obviously kickstart that spring, um, pretty rocky. And then it kind of just really, everything just piled on top of another. And it was like, I tried to be somebody else and I tried to do more. I tried to prove that I wasn't extended spring training worthy. So I tried to change this and that because you know, when, when someone essentially tells you that you're not good to be on a team, you, you, your natural human instinct is to try to adjust something or change something. Right. So then it was kind of constantly making these small little adjustments mechanically and this and that. And in that environment in extended spring training, you get away with it because everything's so controlled. They roll innings, you know, you're, you're, um, you're throwing bullpens all the time. And, and it's like, you're throwing, um, even when you do pitch in an extended spring training game, you're, you're not going more than like five or four innings. So it's very controlled. You're having to finish up your outings in a bullpen. There's no adrenaline. So like I, I was like, oh man, I'm going to take this opportunity to really dive into this mechanics thing. Like how can I optimize my mechanics and how can I do this? Because again, going back my whole upbringing, I was never really a pitcher, dude. I was a thrower. Like I got up there and I was like, okay, well, you know, I know how to throw this thing. I guess I'll call it a slider for a strike. So I'll put it right there and boom, it was simple. Like I, I can't even, like the, my mindset was amazing. Um, and then I started really like diving into concepts and diving into, you know, nuances of the delivery and what people were talking about. And this is kind of where, uh, this was the time where video rooms started getting more popular. So I was like, man, I'm in extended spring training. I have access to the big league facility. I'm going to use their video rooms, man. So I started watching a ton of video on myself, not even knowing what to look for. <laughs> but oh, were I didn't you like leaning on <laughs> someone else with that too? Were you taking your findings to someone else or talking to a pitching coach? Or were you being worked with and molded it all? Or were yeah. you just, I'm going to, I'm going to wing this myself? No, no, it was very hands-on. It was again, like anything I say, if I, if anything comes off like negative or disrespectful, I don't mean it, but it was, it was one of those things where obviously they want to, in extended spring training, for those of you guys listening that don't really know the, uh, the way it kind of works is you have a lot of people there. You have like coordinators, you have four or five different types of pitching coaches, and you're able to, you know, kind of be around them all the time. So 
what happened was is is me being a perfectionist, right? And me wanting to get better and make adjustments because I was I had this notion in my mind about not being good enough. I would go to kind of each and every one of these guys and and just you know, dad always told me, hey, be a sponge, you know, and it's all great until you can't, you don't have the mental capacity to absorb it. So I was getting all of this information. I was trying to do this and that. And then another guy would give me this information. I'd be like, well, I got to do this and that now. And then another guy would give me this and another guy would give me that. It was like, I mean, I was like a freaking cocaine addict. I wanted all of it, dude. I just didn't know like how to process it. And, um, yeah. And then next thing you know, I honestly was just like, I remember being, cause then we, we broke extended spring training and going into real games. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, what am I doing? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now, <laughs> throwing this baseball. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, would you classify great. that 2011 year? You had an ERA just North of eight. Uh, would you classify oh, that as a lost year where, where we've got them up? We've got the stats up They're <laughs> they're, they're still on the internet for right now. Was that a lost year on the field? Did, did you feel like you got any progress out of that? Did you feel like you were still on track to what you, to what you had expected of yourself or, you know, where's your mind during a year where you, you make 14 starts and it, a lot of, you're struggling in a lot of them. It's uh, it's it's interesting, and again, I know we'll we'll dive into uh, a later year. Um, I've had two years in my career that have been ex- like terrible. The 2011 year was a terrible year, but there was a lot of growth, a lot of personal growth. The other year we'll, we'll mention later was was not that way. But the the reason why I say personal growth was just because we, we alluded to it earlier that I, I never failed. And, and I think it was a really good opportunity for me um, to deal with that. And I was on my own. Right. So the dynamic of like being on my own and having to deal with it. Remember, when I was 18, I had my brother on my team. I had my brother on my team. Mom and dad made a couple trips out. You know, it, it just felt like home and it felt very comfortable. My 19-year-old year, I was alone. I was living in an apartment with um, eight other dudes, like sleeping on an air mattress that popped all the time. <laughs> and uh, just the kind of, you, you say the word like uncomfortable, right? And especially if you're failing, everything gets worse as far as like being uncomfortable. Um I'll never say it's a lost year. So that's that's kind of like the biggest thing was because I, I learned how to how to cope with that. And I learned that, you know, just because your results aren't which way you want it, it doesn't have to affect the type of person you are. It doesn't have to affect your work ethic. Um, that, that was kind of the first year that was a real big, like, test for me because I always worked hard, right? We, we, we talked about this earlier. And... I didn't know if I was going to respond when I failed, like, am I still going to work hard? And, you know, it, it kind of was that, that test of, you know, you start asking like, is it all worth it? All this work I'm freaking doing, I'm still getting my lit. Like what the heck's going on? But, you know, you, you persevere and you really show your true colors out of that. So I, I learned a lot from that year. I, I was able to almost get comfortable in all the madness. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, wasn't wasn't friendly north of eight an era north of eight do i have a record yet jeez i know i gave up like a homer a game 
It was. Great. I, I can't. I can't imagine that's the uh, that's the record. But you mentioned personal growth and something you had alluded to earlier. You didn't know how to do your laundry. You're learning how to just like any person that ages. You're learning how to be an adult, but you're learning how to do it on your own. Um, it sounds like you know you signed for three hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. It sounds like you didn't spend that money on a good air mattress. Did you have you know part part I'm of so cheap? Yeah, you know, part of being a high school signee is having you know suddenly you have you go from needing mom and dad to to provide you food, clothes, shelter, to you are you are very you are financially well off you have you have money but you're also a, still a teenager did you have a plan for that especially going to you know going out there you weren't in a comp living in a complex or anything you were living in an apartment did you have a plan and did you uh you know you signed for slot you didn't push the bonus issue was there any second mm-hmm. thoughts on that when you got your first milb paycheck <laughs> dude I was so oblivious to everything. So this was this was the 18-year-old version of me. I remember having a phone call with my agent, my whole agency, like big head honcho dudes of the agency. And like I the okay, so how would I how can I word this to make sense? So there was no like there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to be a big league pitcher. The reason I say that is because when I had this call with my agency, I was like, yo, I don't like, honestly, I don't really care about this money thing. Like money's in the big leagues, dude. Like I don't care. And it kind of just, it, it, it boiled over, um, to, you know, being a 19 year old guy where sometimes on occasion, I kind of seen it with my own two, two eyes where you get a guy that signed for a ton of money and goes out and, and gets his tits lit, but he's fine because he's like, well, dude, I could, I have a million dollars in my bank account. Like that was never me. I didn't, I didn't really know what it meant to like have a lot of money. I don't know. I kind of was just, you know, it was just another thing. It wasn't, it was a thing I had. It wasn't something that I, I was, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It was, I, I I've always been, a very cheapskate. I'm I'm saying that now as I look at my brand new iMac computer, <laughs> sponsored by Apple. I'm just kidding, um, but yeah, I don't know. It was it, I, I was raised right, you know, like raised to to be very, um, what's the word? I guess precise, like with your spending. You know, spend it on f- like quality foods and and things that you need and and this and that. But then when it came to like my overall comfort and my well being, it was like ah, dude, I'll just, I'll sleep on an air mattress and, and room with eight other dudes in an apartment. Like that's hashtag MILB grinders, right? Like everyone kind of thinks that's a cool, cool thing. But, um, yeah, man, when it, when it, when it came to the money, it was kind of just, you know, it, it was what it was. Um, try not to let it like define me in anything, but, uh, I've made some, some stupid purchases in my, in my day. Uh, but do you have a dumb, do you have a dumb bonus purchase you want to share with the listeners? Yeah. Um, so extended spring training, that's the place that money signing bonuses go to die. You have all of this free time. You essentially just try any way in your ability to find joy because you're grinding in the 128 degrees freaking Kelvin heat of Arizona where I was Florida's even worse, but, um, you're just trying to do anything and everything to occupy your time and have a little bit of fun so we lived we were at the new complex and it was right next to a sports authority and i just remember like 
hey, we just got done at the complex at noon. We have all day. What do you want to do? Let's go to Sports Authority and buy like little BB guns and have wars. And dude, I literally probably spent a couple grand on like Sports Authority freaking little BB guns and uh, equipment and all this stuff. Like I was just spending money and not not only on the BB guns and whatnot, but like entertainment in general. I remember just thinking like on a, on a limb being like, okay, well, I'm going to go buy an Xbox. Oh, well, I'm going to go buy a PlayStation now. I'm going to buy a flat screen TV, like all of these like little things. And everyone listening is like, dude, you're not, you're not stingy. Like what are you just talking about? But I just remember like trying to find ways to, you know, uh, occupy the time, like I said, and, and have a little fun in, in, in the process. But yeah, those are the stupid purchases, right? Like looking back at it and thinking like, what what was I doing, man? Like, I think there's crazy. a strong case to be made that no one under the age of 22 should be given more than $20 at a time. Uh, I, th- I think that'd be, I, I think the world might be better off. But you mentioned Arizona not being as bad as Florida. You know, it's funny you mentioned Florida. Um, after two seasons in the D-backs org, you're, you're dealt at the end of spring training for a Rule 5 pick. Dude, What's you know? Segue. It, I've again been in the game for a while, um, but so the the club is that your first glimpse of oh hey this is a business these people actually you know I'm an employee. What's you know walk me through what it's like to be traded at the end of spring training. So yeah, so uh, just to backpedal like a little bit after that 2011 season season, like in in the Pioneer League, obviously it was like it was a terrible season. But then I got invited to instructional league, which gave me a little bit of like you know hope. <laughs> but we did like a full just mechanical overhaul during that instructional league. That's when my initial you know process of dropping my arm slot down and becoming more of a sinker ball guy started, and so. It was great because I ended that year on a very positive note. I started throwing the ball really well. And I remember like there was always kind of scouts at the instructional thing. And, and you know, people would say like, dude, this guy had an eight, five or whatever it was this year. And he's out there freaking throwing 93 mile an hour bowling balls, shoving it. And I'm like, yeah, dude. But yeah, I made that adjustment. And then I was really encouraged to head to the spring training that next year. Um, and, you know, had a good spring. And like you said, the, the, the trade happened and, uh, again, I was equipped to understand that it was a business from the from the beginning stages of my you know development with pops and everything. He, he's been traded and released and all of that good stuff. Heard a lot of stories, but um, yeah, I was like super excited, man. It was kind of like that that start over, you know, the the ability to kind of leave everything behind and, and start fresh. Um, I, I knew throughout the whole entire draft process when I was in high school that, that the Pirates were, were high on me. So, you know, going there was, was encouraging. Um, they were in the midst of doing a lot of really good things, I think, within that organization. That was, that was right around the time that they, you know, were making the playoffs and, and just kind of coming up from the ashes. And uh, I was excited, man. I, again, I, I completely, like, overhauled everything. I remember thinking to myself, like, I got to change everything now. I sold my truck, got a car. I became a car guy, uh, a V4 car guy. And uh, I, I, I grew my hair out again. And I didn't have hair. So as you can picture, that looked terrible. Um, so I kind of, like, completely reinvented myself, not just on the on the mound, but, like, everything. I'm superstitious, I guess you could say. And yeah, going to that new organization, it was like kind of a fresh start and everything was in the past. Like everyone there um, that I was playing with and, and that were instructing me 
it was all kind of new. And I knew from my past experience in that 2011 season, you know, to take everything with a grain of salt, have that professional filter, not take everything as gospel. So once I got to a very comfortable point that I was at, um, during that, that, that year, I just kind of rolled with it, you know, and didn't kind of take anything too, uh, too like over complex, like I kind of have done in years past and, uh, just simplified everything. Again, it was kind of my first, first go around with trying this whole new sinker ball two seam Johnny process thing. So the game became a lot, you know, all of a sudden it became simple again, like, Hey, throw this thing freaking center cut of the dish down, get ground balls and get out of there. Went to, you know, Pittsburgh that, that year in 2012. Uh, they started me in extended spring training. I got out of there pretty quick. They sent me to West Virginia. My first taste of full season. Um, new coach, really good environment. I was comfortable again. I was living in an apartment with just me and another roommate. It was like three beds. I don't know why we couldn't get another guy, but I wasn't on an air mattress. I was on a real bed, um, you know, eating quality food. It, you know, it's just comfortable again. And that kind of came about you know, success. And, uh, that whole entire year was like a really good year for me, uh, having gone, you know, full overhaul and everything and, you know, was in an organization that I just had like my first good year with. And I knew now that, Oh, me, they like me got invited to instructional league. And, um, you know, that, that 2012 season was just a really, really good year for me, um, in all aspects, honestly. Well, you, you cut that 807 ERA into a 330. So clearly things were going right. Did you feel you felt at that point like your identity was this sinker ball guy you had found? We we talked off mic when, when we first, you know, put together this interview about getting put in a box. Did you feel like you were in, I guess, the right box or this was the right path for you to get to the big leagues? You felt like the sinker ball was your thing at that point? Yeah, I mean, you know, talking identity, man, not even talking bigger than just like a sinker ball pitcher, right? Like the whole identity purposes of this all. And I haven't even really talked about this much um, during the show, but you know, my whole identity of, of me being a very outgoing, like um, just type of personality, right? Like very, very fun. Like I like to have fun. The game is fun. I think it should be always fun. I want to be, I'm very loud. My personality is very loud. I, I do exuberant things. And when you're failing, you can't really be that guy because um, everything just looks bad, right? <laughs> so when I was in Arizona and in 2011, I was no longer able to like be that guy. So when you talk about getting put into a box, that's getting put into a box as far as like your personality goes as well. So, you know, I remember specifically, again, no disrespect to anyone in the D-backs organization. I completely get it. But, you know, there was times in, in extended spring training where I, I was always a guy that like, you know, I like to wear stirrups and uh, there was times where it with the, the D backs were like, Hey, we can't have you wear those stirrups because like they look bad. And I was like, well, why can't I wear stirrups? And, and there was a big feud there. And then it was like, Hey, don't grow your beard out because it looks bad. Cause you're getting freaking your tits lit. And I was like, well, why can't I grow my beard out? And then it was like, I was kind of always walking on eggshells and then I got to Pittsburgh and like I said, I was just really comfortable. Obviously, the performance was there. So then I was kind of like able to be myself, right? Be like my true uh, my true personality of, of, you know, being loud in the clubhouse, dancing around, smiling when I was on the field, um, doing all these kind of little things, wearing my stirrups, growing up. I guess I didn't grow a beard. They had a beard policy there. But, um, you know, doing all these little things that, that allowed me to be who I was 
um, as a as a individual. And that, again, kind of breeds into that comfort factor. But yeah, when you talk about the whole entire arsenal thing, like I, I finally kind of had that professional identity, right? I never really had that. Even when I was 18, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if I had an identity. I was kind of just up there, like I said, super simplistic mindset, just throwing whatever I wanted to throw. And then it was finally like a year in 2012, I, I really... I really took on that whole sinker ball approach. Obviously, I was in an organization where they were real heavy on guys, you know, doing those same types of adjustments, throwing the sinker ball, and and they loved it, right? So it was like I finally had an identity, A, and then B, I was in an organization that really enjoyed or really, you know, loved my identity as far as like being a sinker ball guy, getting ground balls, weak contact, early accounts, freaking throw seven innings and 78 pitches. Your boy Dotson would do the same thing. Like, you know, it was everything, everything was just kind of starting to click and I was able to be who I wanted to be and who I wanted to be was again, the best version of myself to get the best results that I needed to get, which I wasn't able really to do in past experiences. So it sounded like it was a, it was a perfect match at that time. It was, it was what you had, it was what you had needed. Were you still focusing at that point? And and this is kind of, kind of leading into, we're going to talk down the road about how you've progressed your craft and, and learned about, you know, pitching. Were you still, you mentioned earlier, you were a sponge. Were you still mainly just leaning on pirates instructors and who you know what whatever the the pitching coach in West Virginia was working on you with um was there was there even a lot of tinkering or anything or was it just hey I'm having success right now let's just keep tightening things up well that's the thing right like anytime someone is doing well everyone's backed off but as soon as someone starts not doing well every all hands on deck you know what I mean so it's like obviously when I, when I started performing well, don't change it. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. And I say that as an idiot, because we'll talk about the next year of everything that could go wrong, went wrong. Well, let's but, go to Bradenton. Um, let's go, let's go to 2013 <laughs> oh, no. right now. What, <laughs> yeah, so, so I'll, what, I'll what changed? <laughs> yeah. What changed in the, uh, in the Florida state league? You're 21 year. That's, that's, I believe that's, I don't have it in front of you. I believe that's probably lower than league average age. You're still, you know, the age of a college junior, um, your, your ERA jumps about a run. What, what changes in Bradenton? Yeah. I mean, it's, it wasn't even like statistical stuff. Like, I mean, you could look at those stats and, and be like, Oh, it's not a terrible year. I mean, the guy had an eight once, <laughs> but it was just everything that could, I think go wrong. And this, so this is, this is where I talked about earlier, right? Where the two years out of my whole entire journey were the worst, the 2011 being kind of more physical, right? Like I just wasn't executing pitches. I didn't know how to throw like the way that it allowed me to be 88th overall. I was you know, trying to do too much and do this. And then 2013 hit dude. And like the t- you talk about a mental freaking just shot to the foot. I like it started in instructional league. So just to kind of give you the full painted picture, I go to instructional league. There's a, there's a gentleman there you know, high up in the organization. This is fall of 2012. You're saying fall of 2012. Yeah. So we're still still in 2012. We'll, we'll segue here to the the following year. So in instructional league, there was this idea of of like, Hey, so in West Virginia, when I had a really good year, I was 87 to 90, 91, maybe, I think I maybe popped some 92s, but it was like velocity wasn't a concern for me because I was getting outs. Okay. So I get to instructional league and the, the, the idea is like, dude, like you have so much more velo in you. 
And then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've always been able to kind of throw hard. You know, I just never really thought about it. Honestly, dude, like when I was in Pro Bowl, I never really tried like those first like five or six years to throw hard. Um, and then that that instructional league, they're like, oh, well, we're going to get you to throw hard again, man. Like get you to throw hard with that type of movement. Like you're going to be a dude, all this and that. I'm like, all right, man, like let's freaking go. And um, so then this quest of like, you know, trying to maybe make these little tiny tinkers and, and adjustments in my delivery to allow me to, to throw a little bit harder um, and, and changing the mindset behind it a little bit as well. And I remember we took about two two weeks in the beginning of that instructional season and we worked, you know, without having to touch on a mound or not, I guess not having been on a mound in a game, but like bullpens and whatnot, we worked on some, some certain things. And then I remember getting to a couple games at instructional league and all of a sudden I'm like 93, 94, uh, a couple, couple 95s in there from this, you know, from with this sinker ball thing. And all of a sudden it's like, holy smokes, this dude's a dude, you know, like he was a dude in West Virginia because he got, you know, really good results, but he was still an 87, 91 guy. Now he's like a dude. <laughs> so then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm coming off a huge high, right? Like 2012, such a great year. And I'm going into the off season knowing like, okay, these are those mechanical adjustments that I need to make to like throw hard and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, okay. So I start my training that off season and next thing you know, I'm, I'm trying to do like more things of trying to obtain more velo or trying to obtain more sync, trying to get a new pitch or this and that. It's Are you doing that on your thing. own? That's in the, that's in the off season on your own. Yeah. So I was kind of like on my own, um, you know, doing this and that, and then go to the, go to spring training that next year. Um, come, like I said, coming off a really good, really, uh, really high and, um, you know, I actually have a really good spring training. I get super discouraged. I think like after a couple outings, because I was back to like 87, 91. And I remember thinking like, no, I got more in me. So then that's kind of when this process of trying to self discover, um, with a little bit of external influence, how to, how to get back there. Okay. And I was kind of a little bit, like I said, discouraged. So then this whole process of like trying to change this and that. And then, for, dude, I honestly, I like I blacked out for a whole two months maybe because I woke up and I found myself in the bullpen before a start against the Tampa Yankees at home. And I remember in that bullpen, like specifically, this was during the 2013 season in the Florida State League, specifically dawning on myself like, I don't know where the ball's going. Like, I don't know. Not only do I not know where the ball's going, I don't know, like, what slot to throw this from. I don't know what to, like, what pitch grip to hold this. It was crazy, man. Like, you talk about guys that, that struggle with, like, the yips and whatnot. This was unreal. Like, I don't, I'll never classify it as, quote, unquote, the yips because I don't want to give it that recognition. But for some reason, I just remember in that bullpen thinking, like, I'm not going to throw a strike this game. I'm not going to, like, not only am I not going to probably hit 90, but I'm not going to throw a strike. And sure enough, I went out there and I think I threw nine straight balls. And then I remember giving up like five in the first and finding a way to get through like five innings without giving up another run. But I just remember after that outing thinking like, what happened, dude? It was crazy. And then it kind of just all, um, all piled on top of it, you know, from that point on trying so hard. There's a quote in the movie, the replacements about like biggest fear being quicksand, right? Like the, Oh man, the Keanu speech. Did you just work sports movies into this interview? Let's, let's go dude, bro. (laughs) It's honestly, it, it holds so much truth though, because 
I've always been a guy that works hard. Okay. I've always been a guy that's like a perfectionist with everything, with my craft, with like everything I do. Okay. So those two combinations can be great. Those two combinations could be deadly too. So I remember like kind of getting stuck in a little bit of quicksand, that specific outing, and then trying so hard, trying to freaking get better so hard. And the harder and harder that I tried from a physical and mental standpoint, the deeper and deeper I sank. Then I started acknowledging the mental hole that I was in. And I was like, I need to go to like mental conditioning class. And as the more that I acknowledged it, the worse it got. Um, and uh, yeah, and it wasn't until probably like August, I think I had a really good August. That's why my ERA was only like a run higher because I was, I was probably chilling with like a five, five, maybe a five, eight the whole season. Um, but like I said, it wasn't even really to do with stats, dude. It was just like, I walked a lot of guys. I've never been a guy to walk people. I've honestly, like you look at my track record from high school into my first couple of years of pro ball. Like I never walked guys. I always had an ability to control my pitches. Now, now I'm dealing with a whole different type of failure. It's a, this mental failure and this, um, you know, this ability to like not put the ball where I want. I'm struggling with my arm slot. I don't know freaking my identity anymore because I'm, you know, doing this and that there was games, man. And it's funny, like talking to people from, from back, back then that like I played with that'll see videos of, of me now throwing like 95, 96 and they'll be like, dude, you remember in Bradenton when you legit had all like your starts in May, June, and July, and you were sitting 83, 84. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, that's that's me. That was me. And it was just, it was crazy. Like I was trying to do, because you're doing all this on the fly, you know, like I'm I'm in the rotation. I'm I'm I was the opening day starter that year, just to put it into context. Like I was a dude. And um you know, I'm having to make all these kind of like physical and mental adjustments on the fly because I was having to pitch every fifth day. And it just so happened that that year, like we, the pirates needed a starter in high A, like no matter what. So that I remember them trying to move me to the pen. And then the guy that they threw in that spot start, like didn't get out of the first. So then I came in in the first and it was like, all right, well, you're back in the starting rotation because we have no one else to fill that. So I was starting. And, uh, yeah, so I was having to go out there every fifth day, just kind of a mental time bomb. Um, but, uh, that year was crazy. That year taught me a lot as well. But, um, like I said, it's more of like that mental struggle, uh, that I'm sure a lot of baseball players or a lot of guys in sports deal with, but I had never gone through anything like that. And I had no idea how to, how to approach it. And, um, when you left Bradenton that August, did you think you had any sort of grip on your identity as a pitcher? Like, hey, this season sucked, but we're gonna I, I'm coming out of this now with a with a new perspective on myself and who I am and I'm gonna get back on track? Or was there more of a sense of woo boy, I need to figure something out here or my career is gonna go downhill quick? So the the best thing I guess that happened that year was that everything that took place, I was still able to put together like a really good August. Right. So I ended the season on a really good note. Um, and that was encouraging the, it got worse when I wasn't invited to instructional league again, I was really hoping cause that's like everyone's tell sign. It right? got like, mentally especially, worse. You're saying, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's everyone's tell sign when you're a quote unquote prospect, right? Like if you're a prospect, you go to instructs, you go to early camp. That was something that I've always done because I, I was a high draft pick, right? 
And, um, and I remember that was the first time where I wasn't invited to instructs and I was like, Oh crap, dude, like am I, I'm not a prospect anymore. And then it was going into that off season where I was like, okay, dude, well, like, what do I need to do? <laughs> like, and you're 21, 22. You're not a, you're not an old Yeah. I mean, I'm just point. turning 22 in December. Um, you know, and, and not to, and we haven't even really touched on this part, but like Pittsburgh, they never, they didn't believe in long toss. And I was always a big long toss guy. So that year I was like trying to regain my athleticism. Cause I was this freaking again, talking about being put in a box and whatnot. I like had no variations or no slight deviations or anything in my repertoire or anything in my training that allowed me to kind of maximize my athleticism. And then when you talk about me trying to make mechanical adjustments here and there all the time, I was like a robot, dude. And um, that off season, like I said, I was going into, I was like, okay, well, obviously I need to throw harder. So obviously this organization still like sinker ballers. So I was like, okay, well maybe I'll, lower the slot a little bit more, try to get more sync, try to throw harder and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, it was, it was a weird, weird dynamic. I remember going into the season that 2014, I dude, I trained my freaking tail off. This is another thing we always talk about, like, you know, how I, I've always worked hard and whatnot, but I've never worked hard to the point where like I've hit the weights really hard. Um, and this was like the off season where I was like, okay, I need to throw hard. All the guys, all my buddies that are throwing hard, they always talk about how they, they lift weights all the time. I was never, I was never really a big weightlifter. I kind of always stayed away from it, honestly. And then that off season, I was like, I was in the gym every single day. I got in the best shape of my life. Like came into camp. Everyone was like, dude, you look great. And I was like, sweet. And, uh, hashtag best spring. shape of your life season. Hashtag it, man. Freaking A. I'm all about the hashtag. Um, yeah. So I, you know, and then I actually have a good spring. It was kind of a devastating hit for me. I've always been a starter. Um, I, my first outing in spring, I was a reliever. Second outing in spring, I was a reliever. And then finally, that we had a meeting, and they were like, "Hey, you're going to be a reliever this year." We I was going to ask. So that starters. wasn't you. That wasn't on your radar before you got to spring training. Being a reliever. No, I've always I've always loved to start, dude. But like that Bradenton team, like we were we had dudes, right? Glassnow, Chad, Cool, Jason Creasy. Um, I mean, those all all guys. I think are have big league time obviously glass now and cool being dudes um and yeah i mean like all these we had no starting spots so i was like saw the writing on the wall i was really hoping outside shot that i would you know get to be able to go to like double a um you know as a reliever um but you know obviously it didn't happen so anytime you repeat a level it's tough mentally but there's a there's still a piece to my you know, development in the sense of I'm only 22, you know, like I'm still young, I still feel good. I've never had an injury at this point. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. And, um, but yeah, then I actually start that year and Bradenton in the pen. I didn't really know what I was doing in the bullpen. Um, didn't really have a role, just kind of going in there and, and got up my velo up a little bit out of the pen, 90, 92, maybe sink or change guy now. And then I was starting to think like, okay, maybe I do have an identity. You know, I could be a guy that comes in, eats innings, you know, gets righties out, sink or change guy, plays off each other. Fine. That's great. I'm, I'm fine with this. I actually start the year. I remember having like 10 straight outings scoreless. Everything's freaking great. And then next thing you know, I just, I start to struggle. And I think, and, and it's nothing... Nothing to the point where I'm like mentally effing myself at this point. It's just like, well, my stuff's not good. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, that's just the bottom line is like, I'm, I'm, I'm just not good. My stuff isn't good. I'm like getting hit. There's, there's occasions where I'm like making quality pitches and still getting hit. And that's taking a toll on me as well, 
because of you have to face that that music right like dude maybe you're just not freaking good anymore so then i start going over this this whole dynamic again of like okay well i got to make another adjustment to like get outs and this and that and at this time that's when the pirates say hey we're going to put you on the phantom dl we don't want to release you we're going to put you on the phantom and i'm like holy smokes this has got this is if this isn't rock bottom i don't know what is you've gone from third round pick in 2010 to the phantom in 2014 (laughs) <laughs> basically the, the span of the span of college right yeah yeah um but actually the phantom thing was like a, a blessing in disguise so this is another kind of crazy story is um i'm on the phantom and i'm kind of just goofing around and in throwing program i'm like kind of like i'm i'm literally like i'm in an effort mentality like i'm still busting my butt i'm actually taking advantage because i was addicted to training at this point so i'm like in the weight room every day like this is great actually <laughs> still getting paid <laughs> but uh uh, yeah, so I, I was kind of goofing around one day with a buddy and I start like kind of joking around to the guys saying, hey, this is like how I threw in high school. And I start throwing like over the top again. And like they're kind of it's a, it's a funny thing at first. And then they're kind of like sitting there like, dude, that's coming out good. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, dude, you should throw like that. And I was like, F it, man. Like, I got nothing to lose. I'm on the Phantom. So I, I, I go to the pitching coach and I was like, hey, can I throw a pen like tomorrow um, or maybe in a couple days when we hit the road and I'm just kind of just going to throw over the top and, and see what we got. So sure enough, dude, like I go in this bullpen and I'm throwing over the top again, kind of, I'm just trying to just, honestly, it's, it's, I'm again, when anytime an athlete gets into that effort mentality, I think good things happen. So my mentality is fine. And I throw this bullpen, I'm over the top. I'm like 93, 95 in this bullpen, like I'm like, holy smokes. And it was funny too, because I'm throwing this pen and he's radar in the behind me and he's not giving me the velo. And, uh, all I knew that it felt pretty good, you know, it was kind of just cause I'm, I'm literally not thinking anything. I'm just throwing again, kind of like that high school version of me. And, um, and all of a sudden, like, I, I remember him going to the office of the coach and they making a phone call and then this and that. And they were like, all right, well, we're going to, we got to get you off the phantom. <laughs> so they get me off the phantom. Um, and now I'm just like, yeah, dude, I'm going to throw over the top. I don't really know what off speeds I have at this point. I'm just going to throw. And first outing, sure enough, like 93, 95, like freaking I throw well. And then they go, uh, I think a day off and then they go back to back outings with me, which was never really a thing for that team. And I'm thinking like, dude, am I a dude? Am I like, what's going on? Am I back? And, um, you know, everything's going good. And yeah, for some reason I, was just like in this total different, it's, it's crazy what like a, a change for the good can do in a, in a mindset of a, of an athlete, right? Like I'm in a great mindset now. And then, um, I just remember again, I'm such an idiot thinking back on this all now. I, I remember coming in a couple of days off of the back to back facing a, a really good team in Fort, Fort Myers. We're at home and, uh, we're have a five run lead. Okay. So they bring me in the ninth. Because this is where it gets tricky with the whole baseball terminology and whatnot, because I'm coming off like a back to back, which I'm thinking like, dude, I'm a dude, right? Like that's a that's a high praise to send a guy out back to back when no one's really done it in the bullpen for the team. And then next thing I know, I'm in a in in essentially in a blowout game in the ninth to mop up like what's like what's going on here. So I remember kind of getting down on on that uh, going into that game. So I had a mindset of just poop. And I remember giving up five and we, t- they tied it and we went into extras. Everyone's pissed. It's freaking the Florida state league. No one's in the crowd. The, they got to reheat the spread. Everyone's already tired because it was a high scoring game. I'm just like, Whoa, dude. I'm like, oh, man, I'm back to just 
<laughs> down in the dumps. And uh, after that game, I get a call, um, them saying, hey, so-and-so is coming off the DL. You're, you're showing actually really good progress of late. We're not going to release you, but we don't have any room. We're not going to put you on the Phantom again, so we're going to send you to West Virginia. And this is where it's just like f me, right? You're because back. I'm, I'm you're back to West Virginia two years after you left. You know, a, w- a week before you thought you had been reinvented. Yeah, and dude, not even like that. I was back in West Virginia, but I was back in a place that I dominated, right? Like, usually that that doesn't happen, right? Like, yeah, I I'll repeat this level because I I didn't show that I could actually move on from this level, but I dominated that level, <laughs> and now I'm back two years after. So that was kind of, that was a tough, that was tough for me. Cause like you said, I had a little bit of a, a little bit going for me and, um, and then it was kind of really taken away and then it gets even better. If you want to Do you think you had anything mentally in the game when you, when you got to West Virginia or were you just spent at that point? Uh, no, I wasn't spent. Like I said, I was coming off kind of a high. Like, I, dude, I, I got like this new arm slot. I'm back to like maybe thinking that this is me and I can reestablish an identity. Because you look at my whole entire career, man, like that was the biggest struggle early on was I never really established an identity as far as like the physical pitching goes, right? So, um, you know, and I was kind of longing for that, not knowing what it was going to be that allowed me to be the best pitcher that I could be. So now I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm encouraged I would say because you know I'm throwing hard which even back then like not a ton of people did it right like it was still a crazy thing to see when a guy would throw 95. So I get to West Virginia and this is where it gets just like comedical because I'm there I'm discouraged I'm like f I don't know anyone on this team these are all guys that I never played with before but it's a cool group um, I'm just like. I'm just not in, in a good headspace. I'm not comfortable again. Um, you know, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But the pitching coach there, bless his heart. I love this dude. Um, he's a great guy, but he goes up to me or comes up to me like, I, I, I believe it was, uh, I don't know if it was the first day I was there, but the second day. And he's like, dude, I watched um, one of your, I watched one of your videos from Instructional League of 2012. And that arm, like you looked so good and this, that arm slot. And so he puts this idea in my head and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did look good there. I got to get back to that point. Right. When I had that bump in velo and I was still sinking it, I was like, I got to get back to that point. So now I'm banging the overhead arm slot just on a limb because of this guy. And at this point, I'm just trying to do anything and everything to like, please people. Right. Because I know anytime you get a demotion, it's like, oh, you're freaking you're not doing good in, in your development, man. Like they don't like you. Anytime an organization doesn't like you, bad things happen. So I'm like trying to do anything and everything to please people. Hey, yes, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. Like, Ooh, you want me to try this and Ooh, watch this and this and that. And, um, so then I'm like trying to make this other mechanical change of throwing it from a different slot, but I'm trying to throw that same velocity and, Man, long story short, I kind of just bounced back from outing to outing, again, not knowing, like, how to freaking throw. And this is where it just all crumbles on top of me. Like, everything kind of all of a sudden hits at once in one outing. Um, my last outing as a Pittsburgh Pirate, um, it's a day game, and I'm just out there, like, trying to figure out 
how to throw a baseball, dude. I've been quoted saying I remember that outing specifically because that was the one outing where I was out there and I felt like I was throwing the baseball left-handed. Like, no joke, dude. It was it was an unreal experience. Like we mentioned in 2013, like I had dealt with the, the you know, um, not, the not, not quite the yips, yeah. but... Yeah, not the quite the yips, but now all of a sudden I'm out in this game and I'm like just lost. Like, okay, all right, like I don't know what I'm doing, guys. I remember throwing uh, 15 pitches, uh, no, 17 pitches, 16 balls, one strike. Uh, I get released after the game. And that's a wrap on part one with Robbie Rowland. Tune in in two weeks to get the the Robbie Rowe comeback story, how he went back, reinvented himself, found velocity, found his identity on the mound, and uh, and see where he is today in his career. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you so wish, leave a five star rating and a review. Make sure to check out baseballamerica.com. New content every day, as well as the Baseball America podcast feed. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Bandujo, that's B-A-N-D-U-J-O, and we will catch you in two weeks with part two of our talk with Robbie Rowland.